Okay, we started this series through the book of Acts back in the month of May. Can you believe it? Here we are. It's September. It's almost October. I mean, the weather's changing. Anybody else depressed by this fact? Yeah. Anyway, some summer lovers in the house. You are my people. Um, But we started this series back in the month of May through the book of Acts. We are going week by week, chapter by chapter through 28 weeks. Tonight we are in Acts chapter 19. So we are about two-thirds of the way through the book. So we're almost two-thirds of the way through the book. Uh, And this is a series that we have called Unleashed. And so this series, Unleashed, is all about how God unleashed his people, how he unleashed his spirit, how he unleashed his church to go into the world and change the world for Jesus Christ. And now he is unleashing us into the world to do the very same thing. Um, We started the series by talking about how the the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, uh, and uh, we have seen... Uh, week after week, how the Holy Spirit moved in the lives of people and how the Holy Spirit moved in the church to transform lives for the glory of God the Father. And we are seeing these same things, uh, not to the degree and not to the extent that they saw them then, but this same Holy Spirit who is working in the lives of the early church can work in us today, can still work in our church today. Too often, we do not tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. Something about the Holy Spirit frightens us. The Holy Spirit is our friend, our counselor. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And we do not need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We need to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit to live lives of victory over sin and temptation and struggles. We need to uh, utilize the power of the Holy Spirit within us to see lives transformed. A church transformed, a nation transformed, and a world transformed. Nothing is beyond the power of God, and nothing is impossible for our God. Amen? Amen. Did you all say amen online? All you, all right, I want to hear, I want to see like amens from online. Um, So week after week, we've been studying the book of Acts, chapter by chapter. Uh, We're learning first first century principles of how to live as Christians, as well as how to do church. And so we are learning these principles from the first century that we can put into uh, practice here in the 21st century. So if you have a Bible, if you brought your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 19. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one. Uh, I'm sorry, we we're bringing them back. The Bibles are coming back, but that's, uh, uh, they'll be back in a couple of weeks. Um, but, uh, you can grab your smartphone or tablet and go to use a Bible app like Bible gateway or U version, or you can use the GFCC app. We have our own app here and you can download it by going to your app store and searching for GFCC, whether it's the Google play store or the iTunes store, go to the, your uh, app store, search for GFCC, and you can download the app to your phone and uh, you can follow along with the sermon notes as we go through Acts chapter. 19. Now in Acts chapter 18, we saw how Paul uh, was in Corinth uh, and uh, he met a couple by the name of uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And Priscilla and Aquila were uh, Christians who had been, uh, they were Jewish Christians. They were kicked out of Rome uh, because of all the riots that were taking place in Rome. And they ended up in Corinth, which was uh, uh, on the isthmus between uh, the mainland and the peninsula of Greece. And so it was a major trade route, majorly important city. And they also, uh, they made their way to the city of Ephesus. Uh, and the Acts chapter 19 mostly takes place in the city 
of Ephesus. And Paul ends up in Ephesus. Uh, and Apollos, uh, another believer uh, that they met and they baptized, uh, was in Corinth, but Paul decided to go to Ephesus. So Paul goes to Ephesus, which again was a majorly important city. It was a port city in what is modern day Turkey. So it was a port city on the Aegean Sea. Three major trade routes all led to Ephesus. So this is a hugely important city uh, in uh, ancient uh, Turkey. Okay, so we're going to pick it up in uh, chapter uh, chapter 19, and we're going to look at verses 4 and 5 here in just a second. Um, Paul found some believers and asked them which baptism that they had received if they had heard of the Holy Spirit. They're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And then he asked them, which baptism did you receive? This is what they said, verse 4. Paul said, John's baptism, they said, we received John's baptism. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you've got Paul, who comes across a dozen believers. There's 12 people who believed in Jesus, but they had never been baptized into the name of Jesus. They had been baptized with John's baptism, John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance and told them to believe in the one who was coming after him. And he was referring to Jesus Christ. Uh, and so they had received John's baptism. They had repented, but they had not received a baptism uh, of forgiveness or a baptism for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul uh, and his companions baptized these 12 guys, uh, and then they lay their hands on them. Paul lays his hands on them, and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is very, very similar to what happened to the Samaritans back in Acts chapter 8. So if you want to go back and read the story of what happened to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, it's the very same thing. They had not been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when they were, Paul laid, uh, Peter and John laid their hands on them in Acts chapter 8. Paul lays their hands on them here in Acts chapter 19. Now, does that mean that after you get baptized that you need to have somebody lay hands on you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? That's not the case. Scholars believe that the reason that Paul laid his hands on the the believers here after they got baptized was to confer uh, spiritual gifts on them. And that's no longer necessary. We know that when we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that our sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And we are given spiritual gifts. So this is uh, more of an anomaly than it is a normative experience, okay? Uh, verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 6 and 7. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. And so Paul uh, preaches to them the baptism in the name of Jesus. Uh, they are baptized, and then the Holy Spirit comes within them. They begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. Again, these are gifts that we don't uh, use here at GFCC. Um, that These are gifts that we believe have passed, um, the gifts of speaking in tongues uh, to, so that other people can understand the, the, the message of the gospel. Um, but uh, we believe that the Holy Spirit does still come to live within us. Um, look at chapter 19, verses 8 and 9 as we continue on. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Now, the way is a uh, phrase that was used to describe the church, the Christians. Uh, the way uh, was the uh, first century designation for Christianity. And it occurs several times throughout the book 
of Acts. And it occurs twice here in Acts chapter 19. And so Paul goes into the synagogue. That was his custom. He would go into the synagogue in a city and he would argue for the, the fact that Jesus was the, the risen Messiah to the Jews who were in the synagogue because he had something in common with them. A, Paul was Jewish, and B, uh, they all believed in one God. Remember, the people of ancient Greece uh, and, and the Roman world, the Roman Empire, were all polytheistic. They believed in many gods, but the Jews believed in one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God that Paul believed in. Uh, only difference is, is that Paul believed that God had sent his Messiah, Jesus Christ. So he would go into the synagogues, he would reason with people, he would persuade them that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ, and that he died and then he rose again. Uh, and uh, some people would turn and other people, as it says here, became obstinate and angry and started uh, becoming, uh, they even became violent at, at different points. Um, so uh, Paul, uh, when they become obstinate and angry, Paul's like, forget it, I'm, I can't do this anymore. And he leaves uh, the synagogue. Uh, and instead, he goes to the, uh, the uh, lecture hall of Tyrannus. And he goes to the lecture hall of Tyrannus and begins to argue uh, for the, the fact that Jesus is the Messiah uh, there among the Jews and Greeks. Look at verse 11 and 12. This is amazing. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. What? Like Paul blows his nose in a hanky. <laughs> what? It reminds me of how many, you, you all remember like in the 1970s, 1980s, there'll be those TV preachers. And they would, they would say, you know, I'm, you send me $500. I'm going to send you this prayer cloth that I've sweat on and that I, that I prayed over. And I'll send you this prayer cloth. I, I got it. it. It feels like that, doesn't it? I mean, it feels like that. Only this is real. Like people were actually healed by articles of clothing that Paul had touched. God was moving in such a powerful way. That is almost unbelievable, except for the fact that nothing is unbelievable when it comes to God. It's just amazing. Just I love this story. Um, so Paul's like, Demons are being cast out of people. Paul's doing miracles. People are going, I mean, everything is, it's just crazy what's going on in, in the first century in the early church. Um, and so there were these guys in the next passage. We read about these guys, the seven sons of Sceva. And they were Jewish exorcists. They cast demons out of people. And they saw that, you know, casting demons out in the name of Jesus. Now, these guys didn't believe in Jesus, but they saw that casting out demons in the name of Jesus, like, was much more effective. And so they start going around and they're, they're like, hey, you know, they start trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And um, uh, look at verse um, 15. So they're trying to do this. It says, one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, seven sons of Sceva, seven the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So he, this one man overcomes seven brothers and beats them so soundly and tears their clothes off that they run out of the house naked and bleeding. What is going on in the book of Acts? 
Better question, what isn't going on in the book of Acts? This is crazy stuff, but it's awesome. It's awesome to see what God does. And so uh, these seven sons of Sceva thought that they could make some money by casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And the demon's like, I don't even know who you guys are. In fact, I'm going to beat you up right now, right now. And that's exactly what had happened. And so all these people are just amazed by what God is doing. And they're amazed what's going on with the, with Paul and the, and the, and the, his uh, traveling companions. Uh, and so, um, everybody is just in awe of what is going on in the early church. Look at, but, but, oh man, look at verse 19. Talk about repentance. It says a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And I know you're thinking, 50,000 drachmas, that's a lot of money. And then you're like, what's a drachma? <laughs> well, a drachma was equivalent to one day's wage. So let's put this in some modern money. One, if you make $50,000 a year, you make about 200 bucks a day. 50,000 drachmas or 50,000 days wages in modern money is about $10 million. 10 million. Scrolls were very rare and not everybody had them, so they were very, very valuable. 50,000 days wages of scrolls that they brought and these are like with incantations and spells and sorcerer scrolls. They bring them and they, they burn them. 50,000 days wages worth of scrolls they burned in repentance. It says the word of God spread widely because of the powerful way that God was moving in the early church and through the ministry of Paul. Wow, just awesome. Well, anyway, uh, we move on to the next story. So Paul is, is in Ephesus for like two years and three months, and he's just about to leave when something happens. But look at verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. So this way, the way, Christianity, has created a great disturbance in Ephesus. Turns out there is a silversmith by the name of Demetrius, and Demetrius made money by casting, casting idols of the goddess Artemis out of silver. Now, one thing you have to know about the city of Ephesus, not only was it a majorly important trade city, a port city, but it also had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the great temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. There was a huge, uh, Artemis was considered to be the goddess of Ephesus. She was the goddess of fertility. And the people of Ephesus worshipped her. She was the goddess over the city, the protector of the city. And so this Artemis cult in Ephesus was huge. So people are leaving Artemis worship to worship Jesus. The demand for silver idols of Artemis starts to decline. What happens when somebody takes away your cash cow? Do you just sit there and go, oh, well, no big deal. This guy is angry. Demetrius is very upset. And he gets all of his silversmith buddies together and says, look, we got to do something about this Paul guy. Because he keeps preaching and people keep turning 
and we're losing money. Um, so he says that Artemis was going to be robbed of her divine majesty by Paul. Check out what happens. Verse 28. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. They grabbed two of Paul's traveling companions, Gaius and Aristarchus, and they grabbed them and they rushed them into the theater. Now, when it talks about the theater at Ephesus, it's not like this kind of a room. It's an outdoor amphitheater that sat 24,500 people. It's this humongous outdoor amphitheater. They grab two of Paul's traveling companions and they drag them into the theater. And uh, they're, they're, um, a Jewish man by the name of Alexander gets up and he begins to speak and, and quiets the crowd a little bit until they find out that he's Jewish. And when they find out that he's Jewish, they start screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours straight. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours, they chant this. Look at verse 32. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Boy, does that sound like something that would happen in the 21st century. You know, riots and protests and things like that. And, and you know, and there's some really good reasons to protest, Right. But what happens when a mob mentality takes over? Most of the people don't even know why they're there. They're just there to riot. That's what happened in Ephesus. That's what happened in Ephesus. And, and all these people are shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they're all screaming and yelling and shouting. And, and so what happens is, um, is the city clerk gets up and says, guys, look, Artemis can defend herself. You know, these guys haven't done anything wrong. They haven't blasphemed. They haven't stolen. Uh, they haven't done anything wrong. And so just let it go. There are, if, if they do something wrong, there's ways that we can press charges against them. There's a proconsul. There's courts. And, and we'll go ahead and we'll take care of them that way. But, but don't waste any more time rioting because then we're going to get into trouble. And the city clerk dismissed the crowd. You know, I was thinking about this whole chapter. And that phrase, the way, is used twice. Talking about the way. And I was thinking about us in the 21st century today. Thinking about Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And I think that if we're going to tell people about Jesus Christ, then we have to believe that. We have to believe that Jesus is the way. We have to believe that Jesus is the way and that there is no other way to get to heaven except through him. That you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ by believing in him, turning away from sin and repenting from your sins, acknowledging your faith by confessing Jesus as Savior and Lord and getting baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to talk to me after this service today. Or send, an, uh, send a message to our office, office at gfcc.net. Fill out that little white and blue card and check off that you're interested in learning more about baptism. Or go to gfcc.net slash connect and click on the connect icon to fill out an online connection card. And let us know that you're interested in getting baptized. Because there's no other way to be saved other than through Jesus Christ. 
There's no other way. Jesus is the way. And if you want to communicate that to other people, if you want to communicate that to other people that Jesus is the way, there's three things you got to do. First, you have to know the way. You have to know the way. And Jesus is the way. You have to be able to explain why it is that you believe what you believe. You have to be able to tell people why it is that you believe what you believe. You have to know the way. And that means you've got to read your Bible. That means you've got to think about your faith. That means you have to intentionally be in relationship with people who don't know Jesus so that you can tell them about Jesus. You have to know the way. Secondly, you have to follow the way. Not only do you have to know the way, that's great for you, but you have to follow the way. It's more than just head knowledge. It is living a lifestyle that is consistent with New Testament Christianity. It's consistent with the lifestyle of a Christ follower. That we have to know the way, we have to follow the way. We have to follow Jesus and look more like him. And then we have to show the way. We have to know the way, follow the way, and show the way. And that means we lead by example. That our example of what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to follow Jesus, other people have to be able to see that in us. They have to be able to see Christ in us. That we look more like Jesus each and every day. We have to look more like Jesus in the way that we love God. Jesus loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means putting God above everything. We need to be like Jesus in the way that we love people. Jesus loved everyone. And he commanded us to love everyone. To love one another in the church. And to even love our enemies outside the church. We are to love everyone. We need to serve people. Jesus said that the Son of Man did not come to serve, but uh, come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So we need to, not only do we need to love God and love people, we need to serve people as well. And finally, we need to look more like Jesus in the way that we forgive people. There's not a lot of forgiveness in our world, is there? There's a lot of bitterness, a lot of grudges, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. We need to be people of forgiveness. And we need to lead the way. We need to show the example. So if we're going to tell people about Jesus Christ, we have to know the way. We have to know Jesus. We have to know how to explain our faith to people. We need to follow the way, which means we need to live a, a consistent lifestyle. We can't be hypocrites. What is the number one criticism that the church gets? It's full of hypocrites. By the way, when somebody tells you that, you know, I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Just tell them there's room for one more. Everybody's a hypocrite in one way or another. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's room for one more. We need to know the way. We need to follow the way. We need to show the way. We need to lead by example. We need to let our lives speak of what it means to follow Jesus. And when we do that, when we know the way, when we follow the way, when we show the way, we're going to draw people into Christ. We're going to draw people in, not to a church, but into a relationship with a Savior. But we have to be serious about this, folks. 
We have to be committed and dedicated to the way. And this is the way.